So the passage that we are going to be going through, it's, it's kind of a, it's two parts. It's the end of one part and it's the beginning of a new section. And Paul has a way of seamlessly kind of pulling along his whole book. And it's, even though he's different thoughts, they all kind of flow into each other. So if you can remember the, the, the passage that Doug preached on in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 13, it ended with God giving gifts to the church to be used to build it up. And it says, the last verse says that eventually we'll all reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And Paul it has been saying since the beginning of Ephesians that the church is supposed to be a reflection of Jesus here on this earth. And it is the purpose which he wants um, to, to make the gospel known, to make his good news, his great plan to save this world is through a local church uh, and also the universal church in our world. So I'm going to just keep reading here on this, this next section. and It says in verse 14 to verse 16, you guys can follow along, I think it will be on the screen. He says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so right in the beginning, we see an image that, that Paul says, and he says, I don't want you guys to be infants anymore. We, and if we take what God is saying and put it to use, and if we as a church become more unified, we won't be infants. And then he uses the image of a small boat being thrown around in a big storm. And uh, I think it would be maybe something, if you can picture yourself off of uh, the, the coast in a little boat, and a huge storm comes upon you, and the whole boat is flying all over the place, and it's almost on the verge of tipping. And you know that the boat's eventually going to fly all over the place and get thrown underneath the waves and tipped over. And Paul is using this illustration, being blown here and there, and um, the ability not to withstand pressures from the outside world. And Paul is specifically talking about culture and culture's effect on us as individuals and how if we don't have a community to become a part of and if we don't have a truth anchor in our life and accountability, how easy it is for our culture to push on us and to influence us and we will unintentionally be living as though the culture is living. And there, there's a lot of talk about the North American church of how sometimes we adopt things that we don't even realize that we are adopting unintentionally. And one of them that we're going to talk about today is individualism and how... Um, individualism has been pushed into the church and it wasn't an intentional decision by the church but now uh, it's just a part of our culture and it's a part of our church now and Paul is kind of talking against that in this passage. So what Paul's saying instead if we are unified we're going to be speaking the truth and love to each other and I see this in this church quite a bit and it's pretty cool and what Paul is saying is that there needs to be uh, a down-to-earth like nitty-gritty with our walls down, our barriers down, living life together more than a Sunday morning. And it needs to be us spending life together and going through the hard times and going through the good times and being able to speak the truth and love to one another and build each other up and make a foundation that allows us to be different than our culture around us. 
So for this to happen, we need to be completely vulnerable, and we also are going to have to be transformed by something other than our own identities. I want to keep reading here. Paul, he's going he's to give two contrasts, and he's going to first talk about a way that he doesn't want us to live, and then he's going to talk about a way he does want us to live. And they're very important for understanding verses 14 to 16 about becoming a, a church and a community that is able to build each other up and realize what we are supposed to be, what we are all, all that we were meant to be. So I'm going to start off with Paul's warning here. This is um, verses 17 to 19. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And Paul is talking to a church in in the Greek culture, and these are mostly people who don't have a a huge Christian heritage. They're maybe um, new Christians, and they're coming out of a culture, a Greek culture, which is actually our world right now is becoming a lot like the way that the Greek culture was. Um, I just a desire that if, if you can physically do something, then, you, then it's okay to do it. Other people might think it's weird, it might not be for you, but anything you choose to do in your life, it's okay. It's, if you can do it, if you can use your imagination, it's, it's, anything is free game kind of thing. And that's what the Greek culture taught. And that's what kind of our world is going in North America where um, tolerance and acceptance for one another, it's also, it's becoming to the point where you can do anything you want, your lifestyle can reflect anything that you want to be. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, you can do it anything you want. And Paul's kind of going against and he's saying, this is how the Gentile world, this is how the Greek world is living, and it's completely opposite to the way I want you to live, and it's also completely destructive if you're trying to live in a, a community. If you want a community where we're going to build each other up, it's, it's not possible. And so he shows a breakdown here, and it, it starts in the heart, And he says, when a heart refuses God and it removes his influence in their life, um, it changes our perspective and our mind, and we understand ourselves differently than when we have a connection with God. And when that happens, and we're not humbled by his presence anymore, we view the world in a different way. And I have a quote up here that I want to read. Before I get into it, I I don't know if you remember from school, high school and stuff like that, uh, there was... I mean, there's two, there's, two, there's two words in here. One is um, Copernicus, and the other one is Ptolemaic. And, and what these are is an understanding. He's using an illustration here, but he's talking about uh, Ptolemy was a, a Greek philosopher and astronomer who believed that the world was the center of the universe, or pretty close to the center of the universe, and the stars and the moon and the, and the sun and everything around it revolved around it based on his observation. And later, Copernicus, in the 1500s, he did some more experimenting. He said, this can't be right. And he figured out, I think, actually, the sun is the center of our solar system, and we are, we are revolving around it. And he got a lot of heat for that. And then he presented that to the church and the pope, and the pope eventually realized, well, I think this actually makes sense, and we're going to go with this model now. And, and now it's just an accepted fact in science. So this guy, I'm going to read this quote. He's using this as an illustration. And he's talking about 
when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God, it's, it's a little, it's actually drastically different than when a child just disobeys a parent. Like if, if a parent says, I'm going to be gone for the afternoon, you guys can do whatever you want in the house, which I don't know what parent would say this, but they say, anything you guys want to do in the house is fine, but I just don't want you guys to eat all those muffins because people are coming over to our house today and, and we just don't eat at the muffins, okay? And so the parents leave, come back in three hours, and there's a whole, all the muffins, I don't know, a couple dozen are all eaten. And they're like, what did you just do? And then they talk to the parents, or the parents talk with the kids, they get it all figured out, say sorry, there's a little bit of discipline going on, and they move on. And we, when we look at what happened with Adam and Eve, we can't look at it the same way and just say, why isn't God forgiving? Why doesn't God just, why isn't God just like that parent that can just say, well, you ate the muffin, you ate all this stuff, I told you not to, but you did anyways, let's move on. And what happened is, it wasn't just a, a, a feeling of disobedience, like, I want to do this, but it, it was actually the first time in history where humans decided, I don't have to listen to God if I don't want to. I don't have to make him my ruler. There's another option out there. And when that happened, it started a drastic snowball effect. And so I want to read what this, there's a German theologian, what he's writing here, and he says, the human now stepped into the place of the dethroned God, so he removed that option, and he became the king on the throne. According to God's plan, man was to be, so to say, a spiritual Copernicus, like a point on the circumference, dependent upon God as his son and center. But instead of this, he had now fallen into the error of the Ptolemaic system and set his own ego or his own self, his own self-realization in the center of his life around which everything else, God and the world, must now rotate. Therefore, God has given him over to his ego, to his selfishness, to his to his self-realization, and man is wholly captive to his ego. He expects his happiness, his redemption, to come from his ego. He justifies his ego. He lauds his ego, and all his thoughts circle around his ego. And Paul is talking, and Paul agrees with this, that this is no way to live in a community where you are the center of your own life, and it just, it just creates struggle. And there. Paul will talk about this in other passages. But before I talk about some stuff that Paul talks about, I want to just use an example in Genesis 4, verse 7. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel, Cain is tempted to just lash out in anger towards his brother because he's envious. And God knows his heart, and he comes to Cain, and he says, Cain, I want to, like, I want to talk to you. And he says, if you, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Will your offering not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right... Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And what God is saying to Cain is, when, you are, when it's just you and yourself, and you're dealing with um, your desires and your pleasures and different things like that, you don't have enough strength to overcome them. And, and we sometimes view, we're going to talk about this more, about how our desires sometimes are deceitful. And sometimes in our life, we desire something, and we, we believe that we will use it to our pleasure and, and we will master it, but it ends up mastering us. And that's what, that's what God is saying to Cain here. It desires to have you. It desires to strangle you. And you have to overcome it. And Cain didn't. And this, 
it starts a trend, and this is something that we see in our own lives. So uh, Paul in Romans, I want to read a couple more verses that Paul kind of talks about that. And he, he says, even though, I'm a, even though I'm a Christian and I know God, there's still a part of me inside of my life that is still fighting against, uh, fighting against God, and it's desiring to do it, what it wants. And so in Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking and he says, in verse 21, he says, I, f- I find this at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. I work within my members. What a wretched man am I, I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And I want to read one more passage, and this is in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. And Paul's talking about a Greek attitude here. We're talking about the Greek culture and how ours is becoming like this. And, there's, and in the quotations, Paul is quoting a common phrase that was used in the Greek culture, and that was, everything is permissible for me. But Paul says, everything is permissible, but, I will not, but not everything is beneficial. And then he, again, he quotes it, he says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And Paul knows that if we desire things and we, we give in to our desires and our pleasures, that if God is not the center of our heart, and if we don't have a channel with him, we will be taken away by our desires, and they will actually overcome us. And this is what the New Testament talks about so much. And this is something that our world rejects. And so Paul is saying, you need to decide here if you want to live the way the world lives or if you want to live the way that God desires for you. He's urging us to fight against thinking like the rest of the world. And so it, it's up to us to decide if we um, want to let the world influence us in this way. And I, I think the easiest, maybe the closest thing I was thinking about this is there's, we, we even sang about it in one of the songs, about a spiritual connection being alive and being um, revitalized by God. And when we don't know God like that, there's a, something broken inside of us. And we consist of a, our, our beings consist of a body and a mind and a spirit and when that channel is locked off, we can't function to the fullest capacity. So maybe a good example would be if you can think about your favorite sports car or um, maybe like 4 by 4 so something like that. And think about its full cap- capabilities. I know um, Mike really likes NASCAR, so maybe Mike can be thinking about that. But I want you to think about this amazing sports car and maybe how it was donated and and said, well, we want to see the full capabilities of this vehicle. And so they test it, they take it out, they get it on the track, and they see what this thing can do. And say somehow, I don't know how this would be possible, but something gets lost in translation, and they say, we want to send this over to a different country, and we want them to see, like, the marvels of what, it, what this vehicle can do, maybe this NASCAR. And um, say for some reason the motor broke down, so they're going to get a new motor sent over, and it ends up in this other country. And long story short, everything inside of the hood is not there anymore. Uh, it's just the frames, that everything in the internal workings is, is there except for everything under the hood. And I, 
if you can just picture the central part that makes this car what it is, not being there. That's, I think that's what Paul is talking about. And if you can just imagine uh, in a world where they think that if you take this NASCAR and you put it on a hill and you, you put it in neutral and drive it down the hill, it's fulfilling its full potential. And I think Paul is saying that our world doesn't realize that there's even the spiritual aspect, that there's this channel that we're missing. And Paul was talking in Romans about being a slave to God's law. And God is not a tyrant. And God is not somebody who... Uh, if we decide to serve him, he's going to take away your desires. He's going to rechannel them in the way he wants to do this. So it really does come down to a reconnection with God. And this is something that we need to realize. And I think this is, this is a basic Christian truth, so it's nothing new for me to talk about here. But it's something for us to realize that our culture is, teaches us is that we shouldn't be accepting that there's even a God and then we shouldn't accept that he has any input in our life. And in the Greek culture, there were gods too, but it's a lot like what happens in our culture now, where if there is a god, he's not really interested in our life, and he has no real influence in what, what happens with our life. And Paul is saying that this is opposite of the way we need to live. Jesus needs to be infused into every part of our life. So Paul presents a contrast to these verses in verse 20 to 24. And he says, you, however, did not come to know Christ this way. You did not come to know Jesus by, um, by putting yourself on the throne and by running after passions in your life. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so it, this, it does come down to a connection with Jesus and an acceptance that if this, if this church and if the worldwide church wants to be a reflection of Jesus, we're going to need a vital connection to him. And Paul is saying that there, there's no gray area, there's no area where you can wear the old clothes and the new clothes He's saying that this old wardrobe that we used to live in, this is his illustration, his image, it needs to be taken and burned and new clothes to be put on and to be worn. And what Paul is saying is this is an intentional decision, an intentional decision every day to decide where our hearts lie. Because I think unintentionally, I know for myself, if I don't intentionally give my heart to God every morning, I will live my life as always, as always I am the king. It's like the default and I'll just go throughout my day, different stuff, and then I'll come home. And sometimes in the evening I think about it, and I think, why did I live that whole day for myself? And I think sometimes even as Christians we can get deceived, and we think, well, I didn't live a bad life. I treated people well. Maybe there's habits we put into our life throughout the day, and it, it goes pretty well. Maybe we have a, a good reputation and things, we, we see the fruit in our life, and yet there's still the possibility that because we didn't intentionally Say, Lord, I submit to you this morning, and I want this day to be about you. I want to spend some time with you and let you channel into my life and to renew me. This is what Paul's talking about. Then we'll have the potential, going back to verse 14, 15, and 16, we'll have this potential to be able to speak into each other's lives. And uh, I, I see this all the time. I... I Usually when I'm up here, I talk about our small group, but I'm just really excited to see a vulnerability in our group. And 
uh, I'm not going to start naming names in particular, but I see certain people who are willing to give their whole heart and not to be ashamed about, I wonder what people are going to say when I, when I, or what people are going to think when I say this, but we say what's on our heart and our struggles and our sins and different things that are holding us back and our ambitions and our desires. And it's, I think it's very healthy and it's, I think more and more church needs to continue to do this where we open ourselves up to each other and say, like, this is something I'm working on. This is something I, my heart desires it, like Paul said in Romans, but I'm still fighting with my old self. And I think this vulnerability comes when we can be humble enough. And when we spend time with God, we're, we're okay with sharing our weaknesses with one another. And, I, and spending time with God, that it's interesting that God is such an interesting way of humbling us. And um, speaking about if putting him back on the throne and the ability to reconnect with one another that comes from spending time with him. And I, I just started thinking about spending time with God and how, how God is, he isn't a tyrant at all and how gentle he is when we spend time with him. I, I'm, just, I'm just blown away by the, the humility of God. That when you spend time with him, even though he deserves all of our praise and worship, he will still come to us and meet us where we are at and meet us in our needs and be there for us and, and just fill us with himself. I know if, if, if I was God, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't spend so much time pouring into people who are willing to meet with me. But God, there's something about him that when we spend time with him and we meet with him in this way that he humbles us just by his love, by his presence. And it, it allows us to, to, t- to take that vulnerability to a new level and to be able to open with one another. And so I think this is what Paul is saying here about um, being made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And in this, in this season where we're in right now, in Easter and Palm Springs, if you can just, if you can just remember um, either the Jesus movie or or the Passion of the Christ, where Jesus is spending time with the disciples, and they're in the Last Supper, and how intimate of a time that is, and how he decides, I want to wash your feet. And how he's like, I'm your king, and I, I want to I serve you. I want to love you. I want to lay my life down for you. And this is the attitude that Jesus wants us to have, and this is what God's calling us to. And if we want to be a community continually that reflects his glory and is able to speak and build each other up, we have to have the Spirit of Jesus. The New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of Jesus and Jesus continuing his work even though he's up in heaven. He's channeling and pouring himself through his church. So we have verse 25 to 32. We have quite a bit of verses here and these are, these are practical, um, tangible ways that we can pour into each other's life. And I think they're also kind of like a litmus test. We can look at these things and say, are these things possible in my life. And I think sometimes we can force things, and I think sometimes fruit naturally happens when we spend time with God. So I want to just go through these, these couple. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we're all members of one body. And he's talking about a truthfulness, um, not hiding things from each other, but being able to speak to each other as if it says you guys are all part of one body and doing it with a love and doing it for another person's sake. To, when you speak to somebody, not just to share what you want to share, but share what they need to hear. In your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And as we become more and more refined by God, we see that anger melts away and anger is replaced by an understanding. And I think in unity in a church, uh, the, the ability to, to anger and to have judgment and to, to not be able to see from somebody else's point of view, um, I think it's immature, but I think also it, it gives the devil a perfect opportunity to get his foot in the door. And I think as a church, I don't see that at all. I see this is, a, this is a really amazing church. And I just see the love that we have for each other and the patience. And uh, I'm really happy to be at this church, actually. It's, it, I'm not, when I'm saying all these things, I, I see these things in our church. So it's kind of like I'm preaching to the choir because this is all these things that are happening in this passage, they reflect our church, I think, to a degree. And I think God wants to see them even more. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And Paul is, yeah, specifically speaking about somebody who, who doesn't have, have a work ethic and they choose to steal, but he's saying your, your life and your work should be done um, in an honorable way, but it also should be done for the sake of the community. And if you have extra, that you should be able to be able to give to the community in different ways and to, to look out for each other like 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 a family. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That may, it may benefit those who listen. And a refinement that comes in our heart, in our, based on our mouths, that our mouths and our speech isn't, isn't for ourselves to exalt ourselves, but is to build each other up. And then in verse 30 it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I, I wish I would have got the, the message version of this, but Eugene Peterson, he's saying, Don't take for granted the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has done so much in your life and in your heart, and don't forget about him every day. Every day he's a gift that's being waited to be taken a hold of, and he's, he will give without measure. If you would only just spend time with him, the Holy Spirit will, will just fill you. So don't forget about him. 31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every kind of, every form of malice. And in, in opposition to that, in contrast, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so Paul is saying that if we want to live in the way that is possible. This is an ideal, but it is also an attainable goal to live in a way here where he says we can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And where he says in verse 15 that speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is an ideal, but it is also an attainable goal that he, that he has for the church. And we see the early church doing this and its influence. And um, right now, I don't, I don't want to put um, Mike and Kate and Chris and Laura on the spot, but I just want to share. I, it's really cool to see that they've, they're buying a house together on this big property, and they're going to use it. I know they're, that they're both brothers, but I think it's really cool to see their intention behind it to live in community and also to have people from the church and people from the community to come and to, to, 
to live their lives alongside them. And then it's, a, it's a practical picture, and I've been kind of talking to Chris and Mike a little bit about it, and it's, it's pretty cool. And um, I'm not saying that we should all necessarily buy a big property together, but I'm saying they're, they're looking for tangible ways where we can live our lives together, spend time together throughout the week. Uh, at the end of the service last week, I was talking with Helena a little bit, and she said, I think it'd be really cool if our church, we just spent more time together during the week. And I thought, yeah, that's, I think that's really cool. And so, like, as a leadership team, we've been talking about um, maybe putting a whiteboard out with a schedule on it and just have drop-in events in different times. Where we, it doesn't have to be a structured event where we um, all learn Greek and Hebrew together or something like that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or like memorize the book of the Bible. But it could even be things like going for a hike together, going for a barbecue. Um, us family, we're gonna be like we're gonna be um, we're gonna be going to, to is it Sugar Lake or one of those lakes? We're going camping, and there's a couple reservations open. If you guys want to sign up, sign up here. Um, stuff like that. We're gonna be meeting at Beasley Park. The fam- these families, seven o'clock this day, and just to be able to, to throughout the week to be able to spend time with each other, and to have this vulnerability where the walls come down. And we're able to be open with each other. I think this is the, the image that Paul wants for his church. And that's what he's, he's crying out to these Ephesians, to, to reject the world. To reject this idea that, that it's all about yourself and that everything starts with you. And like make, make yourself better just thinking about yourself. The world is, is all about that right now. And I think in the end, it, it doesn't lead to any happiness and fulfillment. And Paul's asking us to take on the spirit of Jesus individually and also corporately. So as I kind of come to the end of this passage here, um, I guess it's just a challenge for us and it's also just an encouragement um, that, that corporate community really starts with our time with God and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable for one another. I just want to just pray and close and I'll just invite the worship team to come back up. Father God, we just thank you for Creekside and we just thank you for what is happening here. Um, we just thank you for, for the, the, the families that we have here and the hearts of the, the people that, that come here. And we just ask that more and more you will just speak to us with your loving heart and you allow us to realize that we are the family of God and that and that you do care about all of us, and that you, you care about us knowing each other and loving each other and, and spending time together with each other, building each other up. I pray you just give us um, courage to be able to speak into each other's lives, uh, to be able to speak freedom and to, to be able to speak inspiration. And I just pray that you just continue to lead us. Um, give us unity, Father. That's something that, that you desire so much for us, and we thank you that it is present in our church. There's so much unity here, and we just ask that you protect us and you keep us unified. Um, just be with us, and we, we, we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and how it is about you and uh, how your spirit is working among us and you're making us um, into people who are like you. In Jesus' name, amen.